is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Numbers 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Thanks to Brian Mudd for filling in on Friday. Appreciate it. Man, oh, Manischewitz. A lot to get to, but be first I do, before I do, uh, Casey DeSantis, the First Lady of Florida, who is a friend of our family, um, has been diagnosed with breast cancer. And as Ron DeSantis, the governor, and her husband stated, I am saddened to report that Florida's esteemed first lady and my beloved wife has been diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, as the mother of three young children, Casey is the centerpiece of our family and has made an impact on the lives of countless Floridians through her initiatives as first lady. And as she faces the most difficult test of her life, she will have not only my unwavering support, but the support of our entire family, as well as the prayers and well wishes from Floridians across our state. He said, Casey is a true fighter. She will never, never, never give up. I only know what's in the public square, and even beyond the borders of Florida, the rest of us are praying for her as well, and hope the very best for her. Now, um, The Democrats have sent their militia out again. They have all these hardcore Marxist organizations, Black Lives Matter, not so much Antifa, Antifa pretty much operates on its own, but you have groups of illegal aliens, other groups uh, who protest, who go to the homes of Supreme Court justices who are now trying to intimidate two United States senators two Democrats, Cinema and Manchin, in particular Cinema. Cinema was harassed, bullied, as she's going into a public restroom at the Arizona State University, the ladies' room, uh, the other day, actually yesterday, and apparently she just flew in from Arizona to Reagan National, and they met her there, and were harassing her there as well. 
And this group is called Lucha, L-U-C-H-A. And as pointed out by uh, Powerline, Scott Johnson, the Lucha thugs who stalked Senator Sinema in the ladies' room in Arizona State yesterday were not out to win friends or influence people in the style of Dale Carnegie. In lieu of decency or in an argument, they applied time-tested tactics. At the opening chapter, chapter four of Radical in Chief, Barack Obama, the untold story of American socialism, our buddy Stanley Kurtz relates a well-sourced story illustrating the precedent for Lucha's stalking of cinema. Here's what he wrote. He wrote in October 1984, in the midst of his ultimately unsuccessful re-election battle against Democratic challenger Paul Simon, Illinois Republican Senator Charles Percy was cornered and forced to hide in a ladies' restroom by about 100 protesters from a group called UNO, United Neighborhood Organization of Chicago. By trapping Senator Percy in the women's bathroom, Uno of Chicago successfully disrupted his live appearance on a black radio station, punishing him for his refusal to appear at an Uno forum, which Percy believed, rightly, had been stacked against him through Uno's collaboration with Paul Simon, the candidate. Since Uno's largely Mexican membership included a substantial group of illegal aliens, there's every likelihood that a large number of illegal aliens were among that were among that crowd running Harbaugh Linsky tactics on a US senator. In those days Uno's organizers used to gather at a bar after confrontations like this to laugh about how they'd humiliated one or another public official. There must have been heavy toasting that night when they cornered Percy. And the chapter thereafter details Obama's hidden ties to Uno, in addition to the inferences of the stalking of Senna, we can also infer, as Stanley Kurtz put it to uh, Scott Johnson in a message, that the left is now well and truly in the grip of the very same Alinsky-style radicals to whom Obama felt obliged to disguise his connection years ago. And so now they are threatening cinema. They are harassing her, just like they did the other day with Kavanaugh, just as the Democrats in the Senate and in the House have been threatening the Supreme Court now for months and months about packing the court if the court doesn't deliver the kinds of opinions they want. This is the sort of behavior you see in Marxist and fascist societies. This is exactly that kind of behavior. Peaceful protest, no problem. Peaceful protest, no problem. But we saw throughout last summer actually even a longer bit ago, how these thugs, whether it was Black Lives Matter or others, would chase down Senator Cruz or Sarah Huckabee and, and others to confront them in their personal lives, at their personal homes. We saw them do it to Tucker Carlson at his home in Washington, D.C. as well. And uh, this is what they do. And you would think that there would be an outcry. You would think the pattern here is quite obvious. That you'd hear from Lynn Cheney and Adam Kingsinger, but not, a, not at all. Apparently this isn't a threat to our republic. This isn't a threat to our constitutional system. And um, I'm sure AOC and Sanders and others will speak out loudly against this. But the President of the United States today 
Joe Biden was asked about this by Peter Ducey. And here's in part what he said. Cut eight, Mr. Producer. Eight, go. Mr. President, uh, you're talking about how you have 48 Democratic votes right now. The other two uh, have been pressured over the weekend by activists. Joe Manchin had people on kayaks show up to his boat, PL Adam. Senator Sinema last night was chased into a restroom. Do you think that those tactics are crossing a line? I don't think they're appropriate tactics, but it happens to everybody. From the, <laughs> the only people it doesn't happen to are people who have Secret Service standing around them. Um, so uh, it's, it's, it's part of the process. Does that sound like he's condemned it, ladies and gentlemen? One more time. Cut eight. Go. Mr. President, uh, you're talking about how you have 48 Democratic votes right now. The other two uh, have been pressured over the weekend by activists. Joe Manchin had people on kayaks show up to his boat, PL Adam. Senator Sinema last night was chased into a restroom. Do you think that those tactics are crossing a line? I don't think they're appropriate tactics, but it happens to everybody. From the, <laughs> the only people it doesn't happen to are people who have Secret Service standing around them. Um, so uh, it's, it's, it's part of the process. It's, it's part of the process to chase down senators in the restroom, particularly female senators, apparently in the women's room, ladies' room, by organizations. Now, you know damn well that's not true. You know damn well if the, if the high heel shoe were on the other foot, that's not the response you would get. You would be hearing about Trump not speaking out firmly enough, that Trump is encouraging this sort of stuff, these thug tactics, these, uh, these right-wingers. They don't even call these people left-wingers when they're in fact Marxists, that these are their tactics. I want to make a suggestion. Let's try something. There's a lot of things that Cinema supports that I reject. But let's call her office and tell her to stand firm on this budget, that she will have the support of millions if she stands firm on this budget. Now, I know this is an unusual request, but we have to counter the, the Marxist militia that's out there. I'm not saying vote for her when election time comes up. I strongly oppose her. But she needs to hear from tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of you, telling her that on this one she's doing the right thing and to stand firm and that she will have support in this regard from all of you out there. So I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, We'll find the information on how to contact her office uh, during one of the breaks. But it's very, very important. Now I also explained... On Life, Liberty, and Levin last night, as I've explained behind this microphone, how the budget system works and how Biden is lying, the Democrats are lying, and much of the media are lying, as you can imagine. Nothing there that's new uh, in order to scare you. We're going to get into some of this when I return. And we're going to get into it by listening to Joe Biden and how and how incomprehensible and what a thorough liar the man is. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. 
So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. I post on at Mark Levin Show, Getter, and at Mark Levin Show, Parlor. And we've now posted the contact information for Senator Sinema's office. But I'll give you the phone number. It's 202-224-4521. 202-224-4521. This is intended to be positive and very civil. And to let the people in her office know that you support her on this spending issue and that she needs to stand firm. Do not allow these Marxist thugs to intimidate her. And you know, as you, you sit back and look at this, the Marxist thugs dressed up as Black Lives Matter, what they did to our country last summer, the violence, the looting, the, the arson, the killing and maiming, the war on the cops, uh, you look at how they they hunt down members of Congress and conduct themselves this way. And all we hear about is January 6th. There was actually a federal judge in Washington, D.C., a federal district judge who raised the issue of the disparate treatment between many of the people who've been brought into court on the January 6th issue uh, as opposed to what took place all summer. And that got almost no attention. That got almost no attention. So the people who tried to blow up the Capitol building on multiple occasions, these were Marxists. Almost all of them were pardoned, those who lived, by Democrat presidents. I've gone through this in a really significant way, both on television and radio, so I won't do it again. But that's the truth. And so it's 202-224-4521. Let Senator Sinema know that on this issue, on spending, you have her back, you support her, and that she really needs to stand firm. We know it's uncomfortable what's going on. And here's Joe Biden at a press conference today, how he lies about the debt, not being able to pay the debt, and just a quick, very fast refresher. Actually, I had two senators call me today and thank me for my monologue on life, liberty, and Levin, how I cleared up this whole issue of the debt and, uh, and, and how the nation will not uh, avoid paying its debt. That is, unless the President of the United States chooses to do that, which would be unconstitutional under the 14th Amendment. Just remember, we bring in 
the government brings in rather, $320 billion, give or take, every month. The debt service every month is $44 billion. So you can do the math. $44 billion is the debt service. $320 billion is the gross that the federal government brings in from all sources. So there's more than enough. 85% or so left to pay uh, for Social Security, which is to be paid. Medicare, which is to be paid, federal pensions and other uh, veterans, uh, which are to be paid. And uh, there's other issues in there, too, that are to be paid. And the rest they have to debate over. And what the Democrats have said is we don't want to put a figure in there. We want to go into December 2022 with no cap on spending whatsoever. So the Republicans said, number one, there's no reason to default on the debt. Just pay it. Pay the debt service. And number two, we're not giving you carte blanche. Now, those are the facts. You won't read them in the New York Slimes or the Washington Compost. You won't hear them on the Constipated News Network, and you won't hear them on MSLSD. Nor will you hear any of it on NBC, ABC, or CBS. So Joe Biden lies to you because he thinks you're as stupid as the Democrat Party base. So what they keep saying is you've got to raise the debt ceiling to pay for things from the past. That is a lie. That is a lie. You're paying the debt service on the debt from the past. You're not raising the debt ceiling to incur debt in the past. Why would you incur debt in the past, Mr. Producer? Does that make any sense to anybody? Hello. No. So you're not raising the debt ceiling to pay debt in the past. And you have enough money to pay the debt service. So what are they talking about? Why are they lying? They want you to believe. They want you to believe then unless they get what they want, the nation will default. That's a lie. At the same time, they're saying this costs America zero. So whether it's 5.5 trillion or 5 trillion or 3.5 trillion or whatever, they, 2.1 trillion, it costs you zero. So all these free programs, redistribution of wealth, massive expansion of the welfare state, enshrining massive new programs, costs you nothing. In the private sector, they'd all wind up in Sing Sing. I'll be right back. Is that a copy of the Constitution you've got? Or are you just happy to see? Mark Levin. Call him now at 877-381-3811. Look, I understand it's a lot more uh, exciting to play all the F. Joe Biden uh, chants that occurred uh, throughout the uh, college football games this weekend. In fact, I can tell you where to go to find them uh, on almost every conservative website. And that's okay, but that's not what I do. And budget things can be very boring. I'm trying to make sure it's not boring. But this will affect your life. If they succeed in what they're trying to do, you will not recognize your country. And I've been warning, and now backbenchers are regurgitating this, particularly on television, that what they plan to do is to reduce the amount of money, yet 
continue to vote for these programs, whether they lop off a few years, however they do it, they just want a foot in the door to move their agenda to massively expand the welfare state. And this is in front of our eyes right now. So to spend time on F. Joe Biden is, is fine. Don't get me wrong. But that's not really, it's not going to do anything. And uh, so we're going to move along here. Joe Biden at his press conference today lies about this entire issue. Cut six, go. Well, come as no surprise here. I'd like to talk about what we need today to, to, uh, to raise a debt limit. And while the Republicans in Congress, what they're doing today is so reckless and dangerous, in my view. Raising the debt limit comes down to paying what we already owe, what has already been acquired, not anything new. That is huge, flat-out lie number one. They already raised the debt ceiling to pay for the debt that they previously incurred last year and the year before and the year before that. In other words, they can't spend the money without having borrowed the money. So you have a significant uh, income and taxes to the federal government, but it's never big enough because they spend so much. So they have to pass these debt ceiling increases. So it's just a matter of logic. They're not trying to raise the debt ceiling to pay for what has already been spent. They raised the debt ceiling proactively to pay for what they want to spend. And now they want to raise the debt ceiling again proactively to pay for what they want to spend. Can I prove it to you? In many ways. But here's the big one. They want to raise the debt ceiling, as I said earlier, to December 2022 before the midterm elections without a number on how much they want to raise. That has nothing to do with past spending. That has everything to do with future spending because they're duking it out on how much to spend. So the debt ceiling increase is tied to spending on government programs going forward. From October 1, that's their weird fiscal year, forward, October 1 to September 30. So when he says it's not anything new, it's what has already been acquired, paying what we already owe, he's a liar. On the debt service, that's $44 billion a month. They bring in $320 billion a month. And whether the government's closed or whatever the situation, the money keeps coming in. When the government closes, you don't get a a notice that says you don't have to pay taxes right now because the government's closed, do you? No. So the money keeps pouring in. And so there's enough money, more than enough money, to handle the full faith and credit of the United States. All right, go ahead. It starts with the simple truth. The United States is a nation that pays its bills and always has. From its inception, we have never defaulted. What we pay for, so it keeps us a great nation. Now, we're paying for a massive welfare state. Go ahead. Social Security benefits for seniors, 
salaries for brave service members and benefits for veterans and other financial obligations. Now, what's interesting is even when the government shuts down or the debt ceiling is not increased, Social Security benefits for seniors continue to be paid. Medicare continues to be paid because they've created this fiction that these are several separate trust funds. I say it's a fiction because they've drained all the money out of them already. But as a matter of law, Social Security benefits continue to be paid, and you continue to pay into them, those of you uh, who are who, uh, on, on payroll tax and deduction. And the military continues to get paid, as do the vets continue. This is a matter of law. But they will talk about Social Security and our brave service members because they want to panic you. They want to panic you. There's no reason to panic. Go ahead. Our people and for our nation. We're able to meet these obligations based on the revenue we receive from taxes and based on our ability to borrow what, when needed. And in that case, we're able to borrow because we always pay our debt. We always paid what we owe. We've never failed. That's America. That's who we are. That's what's called for. It's called full faith and credit of the United States. It's rock solid. No, it's not rock solid. Because the debt is completely out of control. Our financial situation is grim. It's grim. In terms of paying the debt service, we do that every month. But at some point, the debt is going to overwhelm the economic system, destroy the currency, drag down the private sector, and then we will not be able to meet the full faith and credit of the United States. Go ahead. It's the best in the world. But here's the deal. There's a cap on what we can borrow called the debt limit. And only Congress can raise or lower that debt limit. So let me be really clear. This is really important to know. Raising the debt limit is about paying off our old debts. He's a liar. He's a liar. We already raised the debt limit to pay for the monies that were spent in the prior year. This is about going forward. This is about going forward. It's not about the full faith and credit of the United States. It's not about paying the debt service. The debt service will be paid no matter what, unless the president steps in and the treasury secretary step in and stop it. This is about paying for government programs going forward from October 1 forward. So when they pass a spending bill and they pass a budget, they have to show that it can be paid for. Not in the past, but in the future. So this is not about paying off old debt in order to raise the debt ceiling. I don't know how else to explain this, but I have a very small platform compared to the President of the United States. So I have to repeat it because it's important that you repeat it. Go ahead. There's nothing to do with any new spending being considered. There's nothing to do with my plan for infrastructure or building back better. Zero. Zero. This is, this is really uh, appalling. It's unconscionable. This man is evil. 
And so he has said, and you've heard him say three, four times now, it has nothing to do with his plan and spending going forward and so forth and so on. Let me ask you a question. How do we pay for his plan if we don't borrow now? How do we pay for his plan if we don't borrow now? How do you pay for a house? Do you wait till you buy the house, then you buy it, and you wait a year to borrow money? Is that what happens, Mr. Producer? You buy a car, and you wait a year to get a loan on the car? Of course not. These are effectively simultaneous acts. You want to buy a car with a loan, you borrow the money to buy the car. It's the same thing with the government. Makes no sense to do it the other way around, because it doesn't work that way. So they're commingling paying the debt service with raising the debt limit, because this way they can talk about the collapse of America's financial system and economic system, unless you give them what they want, so they can spend trillions and trillions more than we have. What they really would have to do, after Social Security and other priorities are paid for, is figure out how to prioritize the rest of the federal budget. Agriculture, energy department, blah, 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 and the rest of it. And they never, ever want to do that now, do they? Go ahead. Both of which, I might add, are paid for. So if we're going to make good on what's already been approved by... So, pre- so, so he says, going forward, the most explosive and massive spending in human history is already paid for. Now, we know it's not already paid for, but if we play along, that means you don't need to raise the debt ceiling going forward because he says it's already paid for. It's a lie. So this is incredibly devious. He wants you to believe that raising the debt ceiling is because of past spending, and that going forward, this massive new spending is paid for. So you're not raising the debt ceiling to spend for the massive new spending. You're raising the debt ceiling to pay for the past. It's so evil and devious how he's lying to the American people, how his staff lie to the American people, how the media and the Democrat Party lie to the American people. They're all repeating the same thing. They regurgitate the same thing. Going forward, it costs nothing. It costs nothing to give all these benefits that AOC and the other Marxists want. To give all these benefits that that Bernie the Red and all the other Marxists want. It costs absolutely nothing. What's the problem? We have to raise the debt ceiling to pay for the past. You don't raise the debt ceiling to pay for the past. You raise the debt ceiling to pay for the here and now and the future. Go ahead. It's Congresses and previous presidents and parties. We have to pay for it. Social Security benefits. American people are promised. Why do we have... Now, just as a point, why would you have to raise the debt ceiling to pay for Social Security if Social Security is a pay-as-you-go program? Folks, you've already paid into Social Security. Have you not? Those of you who receive it, those of you who hope to receive it, and those of you who are young, you have a payroll deduction that is specifically aimed for the Social Security Trust funds, of which there are two, as I recollect. Why would you need to raise the debt ceiling to pay Social Security unless these very same politicians stole all the money out of the trust funds? 
Why would you need to raise the debt ceiling to pay for Medicare since you pay for it in your paychecks every single paycheck? Unless they stole the money out of the trust funds. Why would you need to raise the general debt limit to pay for entitlement programs that are sold to you with your own account, with your own payments, and all the rest? Unless they stole the money out of these programs, which is exactly what they've done. But you still don't need to raise the debt limit in that respect because it has nothing to do with Social Security and Medicare since they are priority programs that are paid with the money that's left after you pay the debt service. Go ahead. Service men and women. Benefits for veterans. Benefits for veterans are among the priorities. So he's specifically naming programs that are untouched. Go ahead. Raise the debt limit if we're going to meet those obligations. That's a lie. That is a lie. This man is despicable. Absolutely despicable. I'll be right back. Lovin. The New York Slimes in particular, man by the name of Michael S. Schmidt, used to write for a conservative uh, platform, and Maggie Haberman, who's a fraud, did a piece on the lawyer behind the memo on how Trump could stay in office. I just want to touch on that briefly next hour. I'm in the second paragraph, Mr. Producer. I'm spoken of as a far-right commentator by a newspaper that supported Stalin, Hitler, and Castro. So we've got to make sure that Michael S. Schmidt and Maggie Haberman, well, that they receive the attention that they deserve. All right, let us begin one more. Here is uh, Joe Biden saying the Republicans are going to destroy America. Cut seven, go. Democrats will meet our responsibility and obligation to this country. We're not expecting Republicans to do their part. They made it clear from the beginning. We tried asking to no avail. We're just asking him not to use procedural tricks. Ladies and gentlemen, what he's asked the Republicans to do is to give the Democrats a blank check. A blank check to borrow as much money as they wish as they negotiate among themselves and the Democrat Party on the amount of money they wish to spend. Because it doesn't pay for itself. This is why Biden is... Uh, freaking out. This is why the Democrats are lying through their teeth, all seven of them, and they do this all the time. They are Svengalis. They are utterly dishonest when it comes to these sorts of things, as they are most things. They are Ponziers. And so, the Republicans are saying, look, we're not going to just raise the debt ceiling to nothing, to whatever you want to get through the midterm elections. We're not going to be the... uh, the, the, the people who take out the loans for your spending, because it's all about going forward. And that's why the Republicans, rightly, to their credit, are saying no. And besides, you have the 50-50 in the Senate, and you have a, a, a majority as slim as it is in the House. You want to do these things? Go do them. You don't ask for our input when it comes to spending. Now you want us to assist you in borrowing. 
going forward. Go ahead. Us from doing the job that they won't do. <clears throat> Meteor is headed, is headed to crash into our economy. Democrats are willing to do all the work stopping it. Republicans just have to let us do our job. You see... Just- You see how regimes, fascistic regimes, Marxist regimes, autocratic regimes operate? They operate the way Joe Biden operates. It's not a big lie, it's multiple big lies. The perpetrator becomes the victim. Just let the Democrats, we want to do our jobs, that's all. We want to raise the limit to as far as we can, spend as much as we can. We want to lie our way through it. That's the best Biden I can do without doing this. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Let me just wrap this up for now, as it's not going away. And we need to be alert to this. We need to be resolute in responding to this. The number three Democrat in the House was on MSLSD with the morning schmo. And... Um, he basically said what I've been saying. He gave it up. Take a listen. Cut 12, go. So what do we need to do? We need to have the child tax credit uh, put into place. We need to expand uh, Medicaid uh, so that people uh, can get the help that they need. And, of course, we need to do something about um, uh, expanding uh, Medicare. But we should not do one at the expense of the other. And then the other thing we need to do, uh, as I've heard on your show this morning, we need to stop talking about um, these 10-year numbers. That's what got people so out of uh, whack. They don't realize uh, that when you use that 3.5 number, you're talking about 10 years. People think in terms of budgeting, one, two, three, and sometimes five years, unless it's your house mortgage, you don't think in terms beyond that. So if we can get this discussion to focus on exactly what we're trying to do to get people back to work with our economy, and moving again, I think that we'll get to a good place. So in other words, do exactly what I said they would do last week and what I've said today. Play with the numbers. Get these programs in place. Don't talk about the out years, what they're going to cost. Uh, don't even look at them. Do one, three, five years max. Just get them in place. Get them in place. And that way we can show a lower number. That's what I was talking about last week, a couple of times. And I'm talking about now, Monday. And I sure as hell hope people don't fall for this. I hope Manchin doesn't fall for this. Where he says, my out number is $1.5 trillion. Because we cannot allow so-called moderates to view this as a victory if they get the number down to $2.1 trillion or $1.873 trillion or whatever it is, when in fact all these programs are in this spending bill. Because that will be an anchor around the necks of your family, your kids, your grandkids, and the next generation forever. 
It's not like these programs are going to stop in a year or three or five. So you've got to look at the substance, too. The amount of money and the substance, too. And this is why I thought it was important to spend this time on this, and we're not going to just run away from these tough issues. And our friends at, <laughs> excuse me, at the Free Beacon, Joseph Simpson, um, Democrats tuck multi-billion dollar handout to illegal immigrants into the reconciliation bill. Now, we know they've put tens of billions of dollars in there for left-wing groups. The $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill extends the child tax credit to anyone in the United States who provides an individual taxpayer identification number, overturning a crucial safeguard against fraud. Federal law required a valid Social Security number. See, only American citizens get that. To receive the cash transfer from the federal government, the potential payout for illegal immigrants who have an individual taxpayer identification number, if you can believe that, uh, is massive, with each family receiving a monthly payment of 250 to $300 per child. This has been snuck into the bill. This is what I'm talking about. We've got to look at the substance, too. A survey from Pew Research Center found that roughly 675,000 children are not eligible for a Social Security number, making the tax credit expansion for illegal aliens cost between Two and two and a half billion dollars a year. Other estimates put the total number of illegal children residing in the United States at more than 800,000. So families, regardless of their legal status, would be eligible to receive checks of $3,600 per year per child. Including illegal aliens. Are we aware of this? This is why they have these omnibus bills, so you're not aware of anything. They shove these things in there. Joe Biden didn't talk about this today. The Democratic bill would amount to a universal basic income for parents residing in the country. So, you have four kids, multiply that by 3,600. Every single family, legal or illegal. Under U.S. law, illegal immigrants are barred from enjoying the benefits of federal entitlements. Democrats are trying to advance an amnesty provision into the budget reconciliation bill, a process reserved for budgetary matters. Congressional Democrats have argued that granting legal status to millions of illegal aliens would add $140 billion to the budget debt by 2032 due to their increased use of the welfare programs. That was ruled non-relevant by the parliamentarian. But I want you to think about that. And yes... And yes, migrants use or would use welfare programs far more than American citizens do. And so this is going on too. And God knows what else they plan to stick in there. But it's something for you to keep in mind. It's very, very important. That's what they want to do. I mentioned looking for at this long, long piece that was done in the New York Times on uh, Saturday. The lawyer behind the memo on how Trump could stay in office, and it's a hit job on John Eastman, who is a senior fellow at the Claremont Institute, who was dean of the law school at the Chapman University, is an extremely knowledgeable attorney, He's argued cases and filed briefs in the U.S. Supreme Court over a period of decades. 
But now it's time to destroy him. And you don't have to agree with everything John has done or supported. But destroy him? Here's how it starts. John Eastman's path from a little-known academic to one of the most influential voices in Donald J. Trump's ear in the final days of his presidency began in mid-2019 on Mr. Trump's favorite platform, television. Mr. Trump, who never met Mr. Eastman, saw him on the Fox News talk show of the far-right commentator, Mark Levin, rallying against the Russia investigation. Now, listen to that. The far-right commentator railing against the Russia investigation. You see, ladies and gentlemen, they never talk about far-left commentators, or when they talk about Black Lives Matter and Antifa, they show them some respect. But I want to tell the two reporters here, Michael S. Schmidt, who had a failed book, and Maggie Haberman, who's all over cable TV, CNN. You two pathetic fools work for a corporation that supported Stalin, that covered up the Holocaust, and whose Berlin bureau chief was sympathetic to Hitler, and a newspaper that promoted Castro. You work for a newspaper that is thoroughly anti-Semitic, and you dare to call me a far-right commentator? When year after year, month after month, week after week, day after day, I'm behind this microphone promoting individual liberty and the Constitution and unalienable rights? That's far right to you, Michael S. Schmidt and Maggie Haberman, because you're two American Marxists. So, through your lens, anybody who doesn't toe the line or isn't a pathetic, passive Republican is a far-right person to you. And you, Michael S. Schmidt and Maggie Haberman, do more to degrade a free press in this country and legitimate debate than anybody else. And you're not alone, of course. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of you in your gaggle on the East Coast and the West Coast of the United States. So there's nothing far-right about anything that I say as a constitutional conservative, defending liberty, defending history, defending our economic system, that's not far right. Far right was Hitler that your newspaper covered for. How do you explain that, Michael S. Schmidt and Maggie Haberman? How can you work for a newspaper that has blood all over its pages? And yet you do. And you're Alinsky tactics against John Eastman or against me, they're not going to work. We're on to you clowns. You're corrupt. If you want to come on this program, fine. You never contacted me. Far-right commentator from these American Marxist media frauds. And by the way, just as a point of correction, John... Eastman had to write a letter to the editor to the New York Times because Schmidt and Haberman, as well as the editorial page, got his memo and his advice wrong. And he writes, One has to wonder whether your editors even bothered to read your own news account of the events surrounding my advice to Vice President Pence in the days before the joint session of Congress on January 6th. 
Although I take issue with some inaccurate statements in the front page news article on October 3. It was a front page news article trashing the guy. Most important point of the whole article, one backed up by very thorough reporting, is that I did not recommend, quote, that Mr. Pence could simply disregard the law and summarily reject electors of certain key battleground states, unquote, as your editorial the same day contends. Rather, as your own reporters noted, I told Pence that even if he did have such power, quote, it would be foolish for him to exercise it until state legislatures certified a new set of electors for Mr. Trump, unquote. That honest bit of reporting gives a lie, not only to your own editor's false claim, but to the myriad other news accounts to the same effect these past 10 days. In my own case, there's some clown, I think it was with the Washington Post, but I don't remember anymore, who put out a statement about something I said that I never said. And what happens is the New York Times, the Washington Post, they all pick it up because they want it to be true. They want it to be true. But I don't remember Schmidt or Haberman getting all worked up when the Democrats in 2016 challenged Trump's election. Do you? I don't remember them getting all worked up during Bush versus Gore and the challenges right there on the floor of the Congress. Do you? No, you don't, because they didn't. Because the New York Times really is crap. And these reporters that work for the New York Times work for a newspaper that supported some of the most sick, genocidal maniacs the world has ever known. Schmidt and Haberman work for that corporation. I'll be right back. Now we've learned from the Washington Free Beacon, Chuck Ross, that George Soros is bankrupt, is bankrolling the left-wing activist group whose members accosted Senator Kirsten Cinema in the bathroom over the weekend. He writes, activists with Living United for Change in Arizona, Lucha, filmed cinema while she was teaching at Arizona State University on Saturday after she refused to meet with the group to discuss her opposition to the spending bill. Soros's Open Society Foundation is Living United's biggest donor. They gave $1.5 million to the group in 2019. That's an enormous amount and a quarter of a million in 2017, according to the Philanthropy's grant database. Living United reported around $1.7 million in revenue in 2019 and 328000 in 2017. So Soros propped this group up. And now they're sicked on cinema. Now the Living United activists may have broken Arizona law, which says it's illegal to photograph or videotape another person in a restroom. Quote, where the person has a reasonable expectation of privacy, unquote, and is relieving themselves or undressing. Video of the incident begins with Cinema entering a bathroom stall and ends as she exits the facility. The activists in the video are heard saying Cinema to support the Build Back Better plan, as well as a path to citizenship for millions of illegal immigrants in the United States. The group was founded in 2009. It organizes voting drives and assists campaigns for Democrat candidates. 
the activist who stalked cinema are heard saying that they canvassed for her during past elections. While Living United bills itself as a grassroots community organizing group, it is funded by several deep-pocket progressive, a.k.a. Guys, can't we use the phrase American Marxist donors, American Marxist groups? Why do we keep... I see it all over my... My with my cable colleagues too and my radio colleagues, they're not progressive. That's the title they give to themselves. That's their own nomenclature. So they're funded by these extremely wealthy millionaires and billionaires. In fact, Mark Zuckerberg's pro-immigration charity, FWD.us, gave $7,500 to the group. The Ford Foundation, which was, has been completely hijacked by, from the Ford family, gave them half a million dollars in 2018. The NEA gave them $60,000 in both 2017 and 2019. So you can see the Democrat Party, that is, has sent out the American Marxist militia. To put the shoulder on Kirsten Cinnamon. I wonder if any of the women in the United States Senate are going to stand up for her. Because that guy with the long hair who went into that bathroom with her, he was a guy, not a gal, wasn't he, Mr. Producer? I don't know how he identifies, but that's what he is. Now, some of you are jumping in, you're intrigued with this Facebook whistleblower. And a former Obama administration communications guru, as the Free Beacon points out, Bill Burton and his company, Bryce and Gillette, are working the high-profile campaign. They're working with the whistleblower. I say a pock on Facebook's house and a pock on the whistleblower's house, on all their houses. And I would encourage more and more of you, it may be tough, but you can do it, to resign from Facebook and Twitter. Come join us at Parlor and Getter. Uh, we don't have any problems. We don't have any problems. We don't have to tow the company line because there is no company that has a line for us to tow. And it's really not that hard. Um, you'll get used to it, and you can post on these other sites. There's a lot more that you can do. And as I pointed out, American Marxism, we're heading towards 1.1 million copies in all formats sold without ever going on Twitter or Facebook, without ever going on any of the Sunday shows, so-called Sunday news shows, without getting any review from the New York Slimes or the Washington Compost, although we know what kind of review they would be. And I see that already Bob Woodward and Robert Costa's book is sinking It's sinking like an anchor, just so you know. So there are a lot of us. There are alternative platforms. And I still want to encourage as many of you as possible who haven't gotten your copies of American Marxism. It won't remain 40% off forever over there at Amazon and Costco and so forth. Grab your copies while you can. Read the book. Look at the seven chapters. Some people are doing that in radio and TV. Some of the hosts are using it without commenting on it. That's what they do. You use it. It's for you. I'll be right back.
establishment's worst nightmare. Mark Levin. Call in now. 877-381-3811. We talk about cinema, what they've done with her. We talk about Alinsky and the tactics of the Democrat Party. Let's take a listen to this. In 1968, Cloward and Piven, remember them, the two Marxist professors, they wrote of something that is rarely cited. They wrote of something called movements and dissensus politics, not consensus, dissensus, the opposite. And I thought this was so important, I included it in American Marxism. For those of you who are interested in having it, it's page 34. But it's important for all of you. Explicitly arguing that, among other things, incendiarism, incendiarism and riots are legitimate and necessary acts of mass movements. They declared that, quote, poor people win mainly when they mobilize and disrupt the protests for the obvious reason that they lack the resources to exert influence in conventional ways, this is what they wrote, such as forming organizations, petitioning, lobbying, influencing the media, buying politicians. By disruptive protest, we mean acts such as incendiarism, riots, sit-ins, and other forms of civil disobedience, great surges in demands for relief benefits, rent strikes, wildcat strikes, or obstructing production on assembly lines. These were tenured professors. The goal is to, and I write, the goal is to force the weakening of the system, or as they call it, the regime, making it vulnerable to the movement's demands. They said mass disruption, both its emergence and its successes, is closely related to electoral politics. When a regime is insecure, it is more likely to bargain actively for support. It may then issue appeals which signal its vulnerability to demands from the bottom. Mark, why are you reading this? Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is what's being taught in our schools. This is what the the Marxists, Omar and the rest, thrive on. This is what they've read. This is what they believe. They wrote, social movements thrive on conflict. By contrast, electoral politics demands strategies of consensus and coalition. Movements have the impact they do on electoral politics mainly because the issues they raise and the strife they generate widen cleavages among voter groups. Now isn't it amazing they accuse conservatives and constitutional conservatives, us, of being divisive or Fox News or conservative talk radio. This is built into the DNA of the American Marxist. This is their strategy. And so they accuse you of doing what they foment. We call this, they write, dissensus politics, the opposite of consensus, to differentiate it from the usual process of building electoral influence by recruiting adherents and assembling coalitions, or what would be called consensus politics. Movements are not likely to have much impact unless economic and social conditions are already eroding established electoral alliances and allegiances and coalitions. That's why, as soon as the virus hit, And as soon as the George Floyd killing took place, they went into action. They saw that as their opportunity. But then it is also the case that significant change-oriented movements are not likely to emerge except during periods of economic and social instability. If this seems familiar, I write, it is. 
strategy has also largely played out in America's streets and politics as Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and other Marxist anarchist groups exploited both the initial economic collapse due to the coronavirus and the death of George Floyd. These groups and others have been key in fomenting violent rioting, mostly by not exclusively in the inner cities, militant confrontations with law enforcement, the destruction of public monuments, and targeting of a federal courthouse and the White House, occupying parts of cities and assaulting and threatening citizens at restaurants and other places. Now, Pivot and Claret also see opportunity in the transformation of the Democratic Party. This is an American Marxism. They write, the they make up these words, the discontinuities between social experience and electoral politics that result from a static party system may well set the stage for realignment. And signs of electoral discontent, remember they wrote this in 68, may even prompt some rhetorical shifts and campaign appeals by major party operatives. And I write, indeed, this transformation occurred during the last election cycle, where the leadership of the Democratic Party was reluctant to criticize the violent revolutionary movements and, indeed, frequently disparaged efforts to control them. Furthermore, within the Democrat Party, there is a growing allegiance to these movements and their causes, as Piven and Claret had hoped, which is reflected in part by the party's rhetorical and policy radicalization, including the Biden-Sanders 110-page unity agenda, so-called, released during the campaign. There is clearly a growing radicalization of the party's elected membership, including the likes of the so-called squad members, AOC, Omar, Presley, Talib, etc. But for Piven and Cloward, still more is required, and the pace must quicken. Why, again, is this important? Because this is the guideline. This is the game plan of the most extreme Marxists within the Democrat Party in that movement. They're laying it out for us. The professors argue that the progress of mass movements will always be too slow as the American system is too difficult to mold into a truly revolutionary force. However, there will be opportunities to use the system against the system and to create turmoil from within and without, bringing pressure for revolutionary change. They say still overall political leaders remain timid and conservative, trying to suppress the potential for realignment by bridging potential cleavages within general symbols and vague promises. Under these confusing conditions, discontented voters may be as atomized and ineffective as all voters are said to be in the absence of parties. So social activists must be prepared to abandon the political parties eventually. Nonetheless, the Duet proclaimed that the party system is problematic, and that even the losing party retains some power. But they argue that take over the Democrat Party. Use it to destroy the country and then destroy itself. Bernie Sanders is not a member of the Democrat Party. He's a self-described democratic socialist. AOC, Talib, Omar, and their ilk Same thing pretty much, even though they run as Democrats. They're out of the closet Marxists. And yet they drive the Democrat Party, they drive the Biden administration. As do all the American Marxists appointed throughout the Biden administration. Again, perspective is important. 
and you'll get a ton of it in American Marxism, which is the whole point of the book. And you'll learn to meet a lot of people that you may not have known before. Let's keep rolling, baby. It's Monday. Foot is on the accelerator. Over at PJ Media, remember that emergency funding the states needed last March? Rick Moran writes, Last March, Joe Biden signed a $1.9 trillion pandemic relief bill. It had cash for taxpayers, for businesses, and most controversially, $350 billion for state and local governments. But now an analysis by the Associated Depressed has found that nearly seven months after Biden signed the American Rescue Plan, and you remember Republicans objected to it, precious little, listen, precious little of that $350 billion for state and local governments has been spent. AP said as of this summer, majority of large cities and states hadn't spent a penny. Championed by the Democrats and Biden, according to an AP review of the first financial reports due under the law, States had spent just 2.5% of their initial allotment. Large cities spent 8.5%, according to the AP analysis. Many state and local governments reported they were still working on plans for their share of the $350 billion, which can be spent on a wide array of programs. So Biden signed the law in March. The Treasury Department didn't release the money and spending guidelines until May. By then, some states already had wrapped up their budget work for the next year, leaving governors with no authority to spend the money, they write. So not quite the emergency we were led to believe by Democrats and the president, says Moran. Recall that $1.9 trillion Biden plan followed a $900 billion pandemic relief measure signed by President Trump in December of 2020. The first coronavirus stimulus bill were $2 trillion. The CARES Act signed in March of 2020 nearly $5 trillion. $5 trillion. $2 trillion. Almost another trillion, five, six, seven, eight. And by the way, nearly one trillion dollars of the CARES Act remains unspent. So nearly one trillion dollars of the CARES Act is unspent. Almost all of the one point nine trillion dollars of the so called coronavirus emergency bill has not been spent. Almost three trillion dollars. Now, some of the unspent money was tapped to fund the $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill. New, quote-unquote, spending in the bill totaled $550 billion. Considering the tens of billions of dollars floating around Washington, it's good that someone somewhere is trying to use a portion of it, he writes. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, they just keep passing, borrowing. They don't even need this money. We don't need these programs. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Now, I don't know what to make of this. Verizon, T-Mobile, AT&T, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp. Uh, Twitter, the Telegram, they all went down today. Suffered outages this afternoon. We're all aware that some people are having trouble accessing our apps and products, Facebook wrote in a brief statement. We're working to get things back to normal as quickly as possible. We apologize for any inconvenience. 
Users of wireless carriers Verizon, T-Mobile, AT&T reported issues with their servers. Unclear if the issues were related. Now, some people have a theory that Facebook did this. Now, I don't think all the other companies would go along with Facebook to take the whistleblower off the front pages. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But I smell a rat. Things like this don't just happen. Not in bundles. I smell a rat. And the rat I smell are the communist regime in Beijing or the fascist regime in Moscow. But if I were a betting man, it would be the communist regime in Beijing. Because that regime in Beijing now is on a daily basis flying its fighter jets over the island country. That's right, country of Taiwan. For three straight days, a total of 93 Chinese warships were flown near Taiwan in their airspace. It's not just near Taiwan, it's in their airspace. And the State Department expressed concern Sunday, as Just the News reports, that it's provocative military activity. It's provocative military activity. Yeah, you think? They say the U.S. commitment to Taiwan is rock solid and contributes to the maintenance of peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait and within the region. We will continue to stand with friends and allies to advance our shared prosperity, security, and values and deepen our ties with democratic Taiwan. China flew 38 warplanes over waters south of Taiwan, Taiwan's airspace, on Friday, 39 on Saturday, 16 on Sunday. Now they say here the planes didn't violate Taiwan's airspace, but did enter its air defense identification zone. Well, excuse me. Excuse me. Air defense identification zone. Sounds like airspace to me, Mr. Producer. Or at least close enough. What are we prepared to do under this Commander-in-Chief? Under this Secretary of Defense? What kind of advice will he get from General Milley? Who's busy calling the, the head of the Communist Chinese military. And so forth and so on. That's what concerns me, what this regime took out of what we did in Afghanistan. And by the way, I'd be remiss. There's still American citizens in enemy territory in Afghanistan, ladies and gentlemen. There's still Afghan patriots who fought alongside of us who are being hunted down and tortured and murdered, as are members of their families. Do you even see it on television news anymore? No, you don't. It's as if it's over. It's as if it's, it's not over. But it's exactly what the Biden administration wants. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. You know, for the nearly 20 years I've been on radio, 
we've talked about how the, the left, the Democrats, exploit events in order to grab power and undermine our system and undermine your liberty. And we've talked about this throughout this entire pandemic. We're not anti-science, we are pro-science. We are not anti-evidence, we are pro-evidence. We are not anti-facts, we are pro-facts. And unlike the media and the Democrats that are driven by ideology, this is who we are, this is what we believe. If you give us a serious reason, a serious reason, to move in one direction or another, a reason that could be substantiated, then we won't resist. On the other hand, if you are cynical, and what you are doing is really intended to strip of us our, our liberty and our mobility, then we resist. Francis, we pay our taxes. We don't like it, but we pay them. The vast majority of you, not all of you, but the vast majority of you, the statistics show, have been vaccinated. So it's not that you're an anti-vaxxer. You're anti-liar. And you also understand how fragile your personal liberties are. Because they are. And Dr. Fauci doesn't care about your personal liberties. Dr. Fauci lives in a bubble of his own making, and he has for almost half a century in the bureaucracy. Dr. Fauci is myopic and obsessed. And in my view, he's also an egomaniac. The Democrats love Dr. Fauci to a man and to a woman in Washington for a reason, because through him, they can achieve some of their objectives. Getting you used to groupthink. Getting you used to being corralled. As I say, I'm not anti-vaccine in the least. That was Biden and Kamala Harris and the others. When they were being developed under the presidency of Donald Trump, these are fantastic scientific discoveries and advances. But that's not what I'm talking about. Here's Dr. Fauci. He was all over TV, all over TV this weekend. Why? I don't know. Because he's an egomaniac. From McGill University in Montreal. Cut one, go. What people have to appreciate, that indeed you do have personal liberties for yourself, and you should be in control of that. But you are a member of society. And as a member of society, reaping all the benefits of being a member of society, you have a responsibility to society. And who does that sound like? Who does that sound like? Rousseau, Hegel, and even Marx. The greater good, the greater society. Yes, you have personal liberties for yourself, and you should be in control of that. But you're a member of society, and as a member of society, reaping all the benefits of being a member of society, you have a responsibility to society. Go ahead. And I think each of us, particularly in the context of a pandemic that's killing 
millions of people, you have got to look at it and say there comes a time when you do have to give up what you consider your individual right of making your own decision for the greater good of society. There's no doubt that that's the case. So what is the science that backs up the argument that what? That what has to be done? That everyone has to be vaccinated, but everyone can't be vaccinated because the vaccines don't work on everybody, and in some case... They haven't been tested for little kids, and people with other maladies can be deeply harmed by a vaccine. People who've already had the virus, there's no reason for them to get the vaccine. The science tells us in multiple studies, including in Israel, 27 times stronger against not only the virus, but a variant, if you have natural immunity. This is the problem. This is the problem. Should those people surrender their personal rights for the greater good of society? To what end? By killing themselves with a vaccine if they have a malady that can harm them? By giving it to little kids where the vaccine hasn't even been tested on little kids? Or by forcing people who apparently have a stronger immunity to the virus or variants than people with the vaccine? This is why so many of you, who are incredibly intelligent, wonder about this man and the advice he gives. This is also why organizations like Media Matters and Mediaite, the Democrat Party, broadcast corporations and so forth, just goose step right behind them because they don't care about the science. They don't care about the science. They care about what Fauci says. You and I want to know for ourselves. We want to learn for ourselves. We want to talk to our own doctors and so forth and so on. We're not hostile to a vaccine as an ideological matter. As I said, the vast majority of you in the audience have been vaccinated. That's not the point. Now let me ask you if this is a scientific comment. Cut two. Now Fauci's on CNN. Go. Are immigrants a major reason why COVID-19 is spreading in the U.S.? No, absolutely not, Dan. I mean, if you just look at the data and look at the people who have gotten infected, look at the people who are in the hospital. If you look at the data and look at the people who are in the hospital, go ahead. Look at the people who've died. This is not driven by immigrants. This is the problem within our country the same way. Are, are we looking at the people who died in terms of ethnicity and race, Mr. Producer? What is he taught? Where is the data for that? It's not on the CDC site. So if people are coming into this country by the hundreds of thousands, the hundreds of thousands, from the poorest places on the face of the earth, escaping poverty, unvaccinated, against all kinds of, by the way, maladies and diseases, but especially the coronavirus. Of course, they're not spreading the virus, ladies and gentlemen. Look at the data. 
You know, ladies and gentlemen, a human being is a human being. And so for a scientist to say that, of course, people who are unvaccinated coming into the United States are not spreading the illness, but people who are in the United States, like citizens, who won't get vaccinated are killing other people. What kind of science is that? This is the politicization of the vaccination. Again, I have no ideological opposition to vaccines. I'm vaccinated. But what the man just said is incomprehensible. It is wholly political. He is spouting the Democrat line. Go ahead. It's a problem with other countries throughout the world. I mean, the idea when you have 700,000 Americans dead and millions and millions and millions of Americans getting infected that you don't want to look outside to the problem the problem is within our own country certainly immigrants can get infected but they're not the driving force of this let's face reality here i don't even remember anybody saying that the driving force of this particularly when you speak of this in the prior to the biden administration where the border was secure you see fauci is a washington political bureaucrat a Washington political bureaucrat. He doesn't even accept the fact that clearly some spreading of the virus occurs when people who are not vaccinated are coming into the country with the virus. I mean, he's gone so far as to say that people who are vaccinated can get the variant, the Delta variant, which, by the way, is dying by the roadside right now. But you understand the point. And so he says you're going to need three shots for those of you who have uh, uh, Pfizer or Moderna. You're going to need a third shot. But if you come in here illegally and you have the virus, clearly that's not the reason for the spread. Now, that's not a rational scientific comment. That's not a knowledgeable comment. That is a political statement. This is why Fauci is distrusted, because he's dishonest. Pushing the Democrat Party line. One more. We do have a great doctor coming up, Mark Siegel, momentarily. Cut four, Mr. Producer, go. We can gather for Christmas or it's just too soon to tell? You know, Margaret, we, it's just First of all, why would a reporter ask Dr. Fauci if it's okay to gather for Christmas? Is she not aware of what happens at college football games, Mr. Producer? Is she not aware that restaurants across the country are open and people are attending them? That people go into grocery stores, they go into Walmart? But we shouldn't celebrate, Christians shouldn't celebrate Christmas? And you're going to ask that question? Go ahead. To tell. We've just got to concentrating on... It's too soon to tell, he says. We've got to concentrate on continuing to get those numbers down. Go ahead. ...to get those numbers down and not try to jump ahead by weeks or months and say what we're going to do at a particular time. Let's focus like a laser on continuing to get those those cases down. No credibility whatsoever. This is asinine. This is stupid. This isn't science. People aren't huddled under their desks right now. People are sharing meals right now. It's unbelievable. This isn't science. This is fascism. I'll be right back. 
स्मार्ट लव इन Dr. Mark Siegel, how are you, sir? Hi, Mark. How are you? Great to be on with you. Very, very well. Thank you. Okay. Dr. Fauci says it's a little too early to know whether people can gather for Christmas. Listen, people are gathering for football games and baseball games, if he hasn't noticed. Isn't this part of the problem, Dr. Siegel, that he steps out of his lane and then makes what are rather political comments or policy comments that don't match the science? Yeah, Mark, you got that exactly right. By the way, try getting tic- plane tickets for Christmas if you wait till the week before. I think you better get you better get moving now. Yeah. So if you if you follow Dr. Fauci, you're going to have to drive uh, about about a hundred miles. You're not going to go anywhere. And you're right. His lane isn't to look at all the damage that occurs when you think beyond the virus. That's the key here. And we can control this virus. The numbers are going way down now. I believe strongly in vaccination, but I don't believe in people losing jobs over vaccination. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe in masks in close quarters, but I don't believe in, in, in kids having having uh, anxiety attacks and, and, and terrible depression over it. I don't think that Dr. Fauci has considered that suicide is a COVID death right now, that, that joblessness and, and despair and, and substance abuse are related to overreactions to COVID. I don't think any of that's been factored in. And we're talking fear-mongering here. And he's the infectious disease guy. So when he starts talking about economic issues or illegal immigration or stuff like that, why doesn't he just pass on those questions? I mean, he just seems incapable of staying focused in his area. Speaking of immigration, I've talked to doctors on the border there that are taking care of people coming in. And, you know, I don't have to tell you that they're coming in very high amount of COVID and no vaccination and it's being under-tested, under-counted, and the hospitals are being overwhelmed. So, you know, how can you not say, I guess commenting on that is a political comment? I think it's a public health comment. Yeah, but his comment was that it's uh, not not a big deal. That, uh, let's see, what did he say here, uh, Stephen? You have the, uh, the cut. I want to play this for you. Which cut is it, Stephen? Hold on a second. We're looking. Are you there, Stephen? Yeah, I'm asking you, Fauci, his comment about immigration. Do we have that? Go ahead and play it. Are immigrants a major reason why COVID-19 is spreading in the U.S.? No, absolutely not, Dan. I mean, if you just look at the data and look at the people who've gotten infected, look at the people who are in the hospital, look at the people who've died, this is not driven by immigrants. This All right, is let's the- stop there. He goes on at some length. Nobody said it's driven by immigrants, Dr. Siegel. People said this is a problem. And he says it's absolutely not. And you're saying, excuse me, it absolutely is. Well, first of all, over by the Rio Grande, there's a tremendous amount of importing of, 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 uh, of people that are COVID positive. And you know what? They're not being confined to stations. They're spilling, they're spilling over into the community. Custom and Border Protection can't handle this. I already told you the hospitals can't handle it. A physician down there told me even the town of Laredo, which is not exactly where this is occurring, is seeing 10 times the amount of COVID cases than they were seeing before this exploded over the last couple of months. Of course the communities are being seated. So that makes it way more than a contained problem. It's not just a border problem. It becomes an entire a problem for the entire state of Texas and beyond. But again, to me, 
Dr. Siegel, this is one of the reasons people are tired of hearing from him and others who, who listen to him. Uh, uh, even when it comes to uh, masking and so forth, he's been contradictory. And so forth. Can, we, can we agree that the federal government has, has not been very good in messaging, explaining things to people consistently, even though he says the virus has changed? It's not about the virus changing. People get that. It's about seeing how certain governors conduct themselves versus the people they rule over. It's, it's to see what he talks about illegal immigrants, but he talks about citizens a different way, about Christmas when we see our football stadiums are all filled up. None of this makes sense to the average person. I think that it's sitting on high and it's scolding and it's bullying and it's calling the unvaccinated lepers and it's it's really marginalizing people and it's distancing yourself from people. And it's another thing that's become more of a pandemic even than COVID, which is the idea that we know and you don't know. Who, what medical school did you go to? Where did you study these viruses? I've been studying, I've been studying viruses all the way since HIV. I was in the trenches against HIV in the mid-80s, late-80s. I don't want to date myself. But then I've been, I studied flu. I studied every outbreak that we've had since 2001. And even I said today on TV, Mark, that I'm learning every day. You know, uh, Bill Hemmer said you predicted that the Delta variant was going to decrease. I said, yeah, I predicted it, but it co- I could have been wrong. And that's the way that you have to approach this. That's how you get people's trust. If you start scolding and talking down to people using this term they love, misinformation, you're misinformed. We're not misinformed. That's going to get nobody on your team. I have a few more questions to ask you, Dr. Siegel. Can you hang on after the break? Of course. We'll be right back with Dr. Mark Siegel. It's your daily adult dosage of the Constitution. The Mark Levin Show. Call him now at 877-381-3811. By the way, Dr. Siegel's book, COVID, The Politics of Fear and the Power of Science, uh, is out on paperback today. So you might want to check that out on Amazon. Dr. Siegel, um, these mandate decisions are resulting in the firing of nurses, of medical assistants, in addition to police officers and teachers, but look what's happening. Some of these hospitals are are desperately now looking for people who they may have to replace. I mean, what does this do to our health care system, and why isn't anybody factoring that in? Well, they should be factoring that in, and, you know, you mentioned my book. I write in my book about the, the use of fear to control, and it's fear of the virus that's actually causing something very ironic here. Let's take a deep breath and look at this. If you took somebody that's a 15-year employee working in an ICU and you fire them because, who knows, maybe they had COVID already and had antibodies and don't want to get another vaccine, right. or maybe they had a severe reaction to a previous vaccine. Whatever it is, you didn't have a conversation with them. You get rid of them, and then whoever you put in doesn't know your infection control precautions. So you're more likely to spread COVID as a result of that of that bullying and, and and cruelty. So so the actual goal to decrease the spread of the virus doesn't work that way. And I'm not to mention the lives lost and the person is out on the street crying, spreading COVID potentially. I mean the whole thing just shows the insensitivity of government. It's what we've been trying to get away from in the United States from seventeen seventy six on that we're not supposed to be doing that here. There's one, uh, I believe it's an insurance company, 
that has told its employees that their spouses or significant others must be vaccinated too, or they're going to charge them for not being so vaccinated. I mean, this this has no end to it, does it? Well, especially with, and I don't want to, now I'm fear-mongering, I don't want to scare people, but all of the privacy issue that's involved with knowing everybody's cousin is vaccinated mm-hmm. or not, you know, with that's where electronic health records do us in on the Internet because there's too much potential for somebody to be able to track you and know your business. And we have to stick to the issues here, which is get rapid testing everywhere, get people vaccinated by talking to them, doctors talking to them. I've been asking for five months to get the vaccine in my office. I still don't have it. Primary care doctors don't have it in our offices. You know, we, we need to have wait, 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 wait. Why not? Because they're made in sleeves of hundreds or thousands of, of syringes, and they've never gone to the companies and said, look, we need a, a hundred of them together for poor Dr. Siegel here. That's never happened, and I've been asking for that, myself been asking for that for months. And that's how you cut through the fear. You know, you get primary care physicians. Mark, we give out half the vaccines in the country. Mm-hmm. People are familiar with that. Do you know how many times... I've talked to somebody and they say, okay, doc, we'll get the vaccine. And then I go, well, I don't have it. You got to go to the vaccine center. And on the way, they may change their mind. Mm-hmm. Or you may have to go to the pharmacy, which is fine. But you're right. The, the primary doctor is the primary doctor for the reason. It's the first really point of contact uh, with, with a doctor. You're not going to a specialist right away. I mean, you could go to the emergency room, but it's the primary doctor. That's very strange. Uh, to me. It's strange to go to a pharmacy and go into a private room. I'm not telling anybody not to do that, by the way. I kind of like it. But if you're on a long line at the pharmacy, it's just not what people are used to. And that, that's one reason, issue with the vaccine, you know, that, that primary care doctors are not involved. And you know what I do every day? I go over with people what a risk-benefit is. I say to them, I'm not going to tell you there's no potential side effects from this vaccine. Here's what you could get. Mm-hmm. And then I say to them, but here's what you could get if you get covid I can have that conversation. I'm very skilled in that. I mean, you know, just as you're the best person on the radio ever. Thank you. I'm skilled at that. I'm well, skilled you, at that. I always tell people, talk to your doctor about the vaccine. It would be nice. You're right. If they talk to the doctor and the doctor says, yeah, you can get it. There's no, and then you give them the vaccine. But it, I had no idea. It didn't work that way. All right, doctor. You know, you know yeah, what's not going to work, Mark? You know what's not going to work? Going out on Halloween, your kid goes to the, to somebody's house, and somebody answers the door in a Joe Biden mask and hands them a vaccine. That is not going to work. No, that, that person should be arrested, uh, as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Siegel, you're the best. We really appreciate you, my friend. The paperback version, COVID, the politics of fear and the power of science, it's very well worth reading. And God bless you, my friend. God bless you, Mark. Good Take to be on with you. yourself. Jeff in Summit, New Jersey, on the Levin app. Go right ahead, please. Yes, Mark, sir. Good evening. Hi. It, it, it is great to talk to you. You know, I've listened to you since Sundays on ABC in New York. Wow. And I have to say, I've heard you say, I've heard you say several times that you really wish or you think that you should have been around during the time of the founders and then the framing of the Constitution. But I have to tell you, you are a man who is not only suited for these times, these are the times that require a man like you. You are truly a godsend. Well, first of all, you're very, very kind. I appreciate that. But sometimes I do think I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time. Well, as somebody who benefits from everything you do, let me tell you, you are at the right place at the right time, and it would only be kind if it wasn't true. 
it's true. So it's not being kind. It's just being factual. Oh, thank you. But but anyway, what I what I called about earlier, uh, I know this is going back to the beginning beginning of the show. You, you were talking about the issue of of the of the uh, raising the debt ceiling, mm-hmm. and I think there's a very easy way to sort of get this concept across to the American people. I mean, the millions who listen to you, mm-hmm. and the millions that those people will talk to. Um, and, it, and it's about whether or not raising the debt ceiling is paying for things that we already spent or things we're going to spend. Imagine, mm-hmm. for example, your credit card company, and you've gone to the limit of your credit card, and you call your credit card company, and you ask them to raise your spending limit, to raise your credit limit. That's not so you can pay for what you already spent. It's so that you can continue to spend into the future. Very well put. That's exactly right. The absurdity... In very simple terms, the absurdity of what they're arguing, that they want to borrow money now for what they spent before. It is such a lie, and it's so irrational. And no, I think that is a great, uh, a great illustration, Jeff. Jeff, don't hang up. We're going to send you a signed copy of American Marxism. Thank you, sir. Let us continue. Let's go to Ivan, who used to be in Maryland, but escaped and went to Florida on the Mark Levin app. Hey, I'm waiting for you to come down, Mark. Are you already down? Not yet, but I'm getting there. That's a fact. Hey, Mark, you, listen, you, my friend, you are an unstoppable and an immovable force. And there's a, Bible, there's a verse in the Bible that goes, after having done all, to stand. And I would be proud to stand with you anywhere, anytime, Mark. But oh, listen, Mark, terrific. i got to, listen, it, 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 it's, it's interesting to me, Mark, to me, that the Biden administration has not formally executed the vaccine mandate uh, under, you know, executive order, but yet the schools and the corporations are acting without authority in firing and affecting the pensions of millions of Americans. And why is this not the most urgent issue before the Supreme Court, Mark? It seems to me like it's like the Supreme Court should well, have... Well, now, wait. They, the teachers uh, in, uh, in New York tried to bring the case, did bring it up, and Sotomayor shot it down. She wouldn't issue a, uh, a stay order. I guess that's what it would be from the Supreme Court. Maybe it's a temporary injunction. I don't know. But, uh, but she wouldn't do it. Mark, under yeah. the Fifth Amendment, the states have a right to reject any undue burdens owned by the federal government. Yeah, so but in this, case, in this case, the state's part of it. You know, New York's part of it. Here I would argue we're talking more about the Ninth Amendment, and we're also talking about the limited powers of the federal government as you look throughout the, the Constitution. Um, I would argue that people who have natural immunity and people who have maladies uh, where the vaccine could actually harm them, and also individuals in a class of individuals age-wise where the vaccine was not intended and was never actually uh, tested properly, uh, they have the best case to take to any court because there is no science to back up what any state or the federal government is trying to impose on them. None. Right. How, do you, how do you have millions of Americans losing their jobs, their pensions? And, well, I don't know if it's millions, but it's definitely thousands, if not tens of thousands. Thousands, and the Supreme Court is not interested in that? Well, look, this court is... Uh, I don't know why people think the Supreme Court is the answer to everything. I'll tell you, we've got cases coming before the Supreme Court that involve the Second Amendment, gun rights, the First Amendment, religious liberty, and abortion, which isn't in the Constitution at all. And I'm very nervous about it, because here we sit on the edge of our chairs and hope the court will uphold the fundamental liberties 
that, that's in the Constitution that we were founded on. And I'm not certain they will. I'm very nervous about this. If they do, great. But this isn't the way it was supposed to be, that the court gets to decide all matters of culture and, and faith and, uh, and, and, and medicine. But if you're going to bring a case, those are the cases, those, those are the individuals, uh, I would argue, the plaintiffs. Because, again, there's, there's just, the science just doesn't support what the government's trying to do to those people. It just doesn't. Now, Ivan, don't hang up. And uh, I want to send you a uh, signed copy of American Marxism. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. He's in Miramar, Florida. He escaped Maryland. And a reminder, as I mentioned at the top of the program, um, our prayers go out to Casey DeSantis, who has breast cancer, uh, and the governor and the entire family. Uh, we wish them all the best. She is a very lovely lady. It's a wonderful, wonderful family. And I'll be right back. Michelle, Leesburg, Florida. The great WXJB. Michelle, how are you? I'm wonderful, Mark. How are you? Very well, thank you. Great. I wanted to let you know that you and your book gave me the uh, courage to stand up to our, um, you know, uh, leaders here in Lake County. We've been being taxed through our property taxes for decades and decades since before uh, Medicaid and Medicare, or excuse me, um, Obamacare. And anyway, um, so I went and, and made a public comment along with some other people, and we stood up to them. And as a result, they are not going to give us any millage for that indigent care uh, with our property taxes, saving us $11 million. Wow. And it's all because of you, Mark. I really appreciate your, your encouragement. Pardon? Well, you're very, very kind. And you're exactly the kind of activist that we need. There you are. You've never done it before. You go in, you speak out, a group of you go in, and you make a difference. And that's chapter, chapter 7 of the book with a, with a slew of ideas and thoughts about things that just every day people, all of us, can do to have an impact. And uh, Michelle, I want to thank you. And don't hang up. I'm going to send you a signed copy of American Marxism. Tim, Charleston, South Carolina, XM Satellite. Quickly, Tim, go right ahead, please. God bless you. Uh, you you're sounding the... the trumpet about Marxism, and we need to listen. We're, our Democrats are playing with fire, and it's like toying around with a nuclear weapon. Uh, I bumped into Marxism back when I was a teenager at the East German border, near the old uh, port city of Lubeck on the Baltic Sea. Uh, we, my friends took me to this lovely uh, beach on the West German side, and all of a sudden, here we are up against these fences that and warnings signs are saying they're minefields. There's a tall uh, a double strand of fence, guard towers, guard dogs, uh, holding people captive in their own country because of Marxism. Mm-hmm. And, and we've got to wake up and smell the coffee because uh, any movement in this direction, uh, I, 
we're going to uh, have a huge trouble getting back away People from need to understand and, uh, that what the Democrats intend to do is steal your liberty, piece by piece, and they're moving faster now than ever before. They're stealing your liberty to empower themselves. That's what it's all about. The confiscatory taxes, the attack on private property rights, the attack on your own health care and what you can choose and not choose, to have the government raise your babies, if you can have babies, um, with the push on abortion and so forth. All these things have a totalitarian tinge to them. There's simply no question about it. They never promote liberty or individualism, certainly not capitalism or the founding principles. So it's them against us. <clears throat> that's what it is. There's, there's very little in between here. And um, that's exactly what's going on. I was a young man. I went, we went to Checkpoint Charlie. I saw those same gun towers, those men with the machine guns up there. Uh, it was frightening. It was, uh, I think it was January or December. It reminded you of these movies you saw with the Third Reich and, and so forth. And you saw the wall and uh, how many people had died just trying to get to their liberty. Uh, so many of us in this country, not the people listening, you get it, but so many in the country just don't get it. They don't get it. They don't get what happens uh, to these societies that collapse from within. You know, the Weimar Republic was a republic. <laughs> uh, and then it became what it became, the Third Reich. Don't hang up, Tim. I want to send you a signed copy of American Marxism. And so every piece of liberty is precious, ladies and gentlemen. Every little bit is precious. And so I want to thank you people who are reading American Marxism. If it has emboldened you, that really is the point. That's very exciting. If it's informed you so you can pass on the, work, the arguments and so forth, that is terrific. There it is at, Amer- at uh, Amazon.com. It's really quite cheap, under 17 bucks. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, and I salute you all. God bless each and every one of you, and I will see you tomorrow. Take care.